thing. So at very least, all of us have now been convicted about screening our friends' calls, right? Any of you, I've seen that a whole bunch of times now, and every time I watch it, I'm like, oh man, because you know you want to see that show, right? Yeah, you want to see that. Well, my name is Chris Boyer, and welcome to the Lighthouse Church of Christ. If you're a guest here, thanks so much for being here. You came at just the right time. We're in part two of a series of three parts called Choose to Lose. And uh, if you missed it last week, I want to catch you up to speed so that you're with us. And the thing that we tried to communicate to everyone is that nobody likes to lose, okay? And some of you in here are like, yep. And some of you are like, I don't know. Well, I'm going to tell you from me, I do not like to lose, okay? Maybe, maybe you already knew that about me because you played sports with me or something like that. But uh, I hope, hopefully I'm not too overly psycho-competitive, but you might think I have a problem. Um, but I actually have this saying for every time I lose. And when I lose, I say this to myself. And there's other things that, that losers say, okay? And so when, when I lose, this is what I say to myself. Because I've lost a lot more times than I've won. And that is that I learn more from my losses than I do from my wins. Right? It's a good saying. But, you know, it, co- it comes from being a loser, right? Okay, so I, lo- I learn from, more from my losses than I do from my wins. Which is super true and I value that. But what's the point of learning more? to win because I want to win so I need to learn so then I can beat you okay that's what I want to do I want to learn more so I can win so nobody actually likes to lose I don't think that you like to lose and it's one of those things that uh, can be really hard for us to get our arms around in the sense of last week was super challenging and what we communicated was that uh, that nobody likes to lose and sometimes following Jesus feels like choosing to lose okay so When we follow Jesus, if you've chosen to follow Jesus in here today, you made a decision to give something up in order to follow Jesus. And whether you're a Christian in here or not today, that principle is actually true for all of us. We've all made decisions to sacrifice something because anything worth achieving in life required that you had to make some sort of big sacrifice in your life in order to get there. You had to let go of something. So following Jesus, we feel like we're choosing to lose, but for you to get your scholarship when you went to college, you had to sacrifice a lot of time with your friends. That you didn't go out and hang out with everyone else the way that everyone else did. You didn't stay out till midnight. You were trying to get to bed by 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night because you wanted to get that scholarship or you wanted to get on the team and you wanted to make the cuts. And so there was a, a big sacrifice and you had to lose out on friendship time, on friendship networks, that everybody else had while they're in college so that you can get that scholarship or make it on the team. But for many of us who are not athletes in here today, you had to maybe give up a job opportunity because you wanted the promotion, you wanted to to get the job, but in reality, it was going to cause you to take time away from your family. And you decided, I'm going to give up that job opportunity. I'm going to give up that promotion because I need to spend time with my family, and I don't want to lose out on my family. The big win is for my family. So you chose to let go and lose the family. So none of us wants to lose, and Jesus was upfront about this concept that we understand from different areas in our lives. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 8 right here, just to catch you guys up to speed of what Jesus actually said. He said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So Jesus teaches this pivotal teaching for those of us who are disciples in here today. You already have heard this teaching that if we want to save our life here on earth, that we're going to forfeit our eternity. 
But if we give up our life here on earth, if we, if we just sacrifice here right now, we're going to gain eternity. Okay, so we're going to give up something here. We have to let go of something here in order to have this big win. And if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus in here today, this might be the reason why. And oftentimes when people have been Christians for a while or, or any, even a short period of time, what could happen is people could become Christians and then start trying to hang on to their old life again or hang on to the things that they really need to let go. It's not both and. Jesus gives us the choice. that You, you have the choice whether or not you want to follow Jesus, but you can't have both and. There is going to be a loss somewhere. Either you're sacrificing eternity or you're sacrificing your life here on earth. That's why it's so pivotal and the consequences are really huge. So what will you choose to lose? Last week was super challenging. Most of us in here today, I think, have already chosen that we want to we wanna gain eternity, so we want to give up our lives here on earth. But here's the thing is that the lesson today is going to make all of us in here very uncomfortable today. And so whether you're a Christian in here today or you're not a Christian, last week we talked about how challenging this is going to be in order to follow Jesus. Today, many of us in here today are already following Jesus. This is going to be a very uncomfortable lesson for us here today. And I believe that if you were to understand what I'm about to tell you here, that it's going to lead you towards the biggest wins in following Jesus. This, this concept, this principle, if you were to become uncomfortable in this way, if you were to understand this thing, that you're going to find your biggest wins in the process of following Jesus. So I'm going to catch you guys and let you guys know about what's going on here in Mark chapter 14. Before we get into it, I want to give you the context and the background. Okay, so this is the part where I'm going to get into it. And let's start out, and it's Jesus and Jesus and his 12 disciples. Now, Jesus is capable of healing people, and he preaches the word of God. Jesus does all these miraculous things. And then what he does is he basically gives that power he has, that authority he has to preach, and the power he has to heal, and he gives it out to his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles. And so Jesus was doing a lot, and he was super effective. He's changing the world. People love him. People are flocking to him. But then he distributes his power to his disciples. Okay, so it's like Jesus times 12. And, G and his disciples go out, and they're preaching, and they're healing, and things are going awesome, and people are still coming to Jesus. He's got crowds around him, but he's got his 12 disciples out there. He's getting super popular, and what they're doing is meeting amazing needs, and people are really just amazed with Jesus. What happens is the King Herod, King Herod actually murders Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. He murders him. And this report of, of that murder, John's death, comes back to Jesus. And the 12 apostles come back to Jesus. And they're reporting all the amazing things that they were doing. And they're exhausted from the work that they've been doing and the preaching and the healing. But the report of John's death was there too. And so Jesus is like bummed. And he is just discouraged. And he's like, let's go get some rest. Let's get out of here. Let's, guys, come on, come with me. He gets the 12, and they get in a boat, and they decide they're going to go out to a remote place. And so they head out on the lake, and they go across the lake to a remote place to get some rest. But the crowds heard about it, and the crowds brought all their sick, and they showed up. And when they're landing, you know, when they're arriving at this remote place that they wanted to get some rest, they find more work to do. And there's all these people there, okay? And this is already in the afternoon. And so they get there, and then guess what happens? Jesus and Jesus times 12, they all get out there, and now they're healing, they're teaching again, they're, they're meeting people's needs, and it gets really late in the day. And so everyone starts to get hungry. 
And the disciples bring this to Jesus' attention. And they're like, Jesus, you need to send these people away to get something to eat. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, what? <laughs> huh? Uh, do you know that there's 5,000 men here plus women and children? How are we, do you know logistically, Jesus, how difficult that would be? Do you understand how much money it would take in order to do this, Jesus? Jesus is like, well, what do we have? Bring it to me. And they bring him five loaves and two fish, a young boy's lunch, okay? And he offers up what he has, and Jesus multiplies it, and there was an amazing miracle done that day. 5,000 men were fed, and women and children. So there's this massive, massive, whoa, Jesus. There's this massive crowd that had already done, like, so many amazing things, and then no, 5,000 people are fed. How great of a day has it been so far? I mean, it's been a great day. These guys are there. I mean, John the Baptist, they were discouraged, but these guys have, like, served hard. They've been working all day. Now it's the end of the day. You know, they've already fed. They've all eaten. They all had enough and were satisfied. And then Jesus, that's where we're going to pick it up, where Jesus sends off his disciples. And so Matthew chapter 14, in verse 22, it says, Immediately... Immediately, so just after they're just finished with this amazing miracle of feeding the 5,000, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, so Jesus is like, okay, guys, let's get together. Get in the boat. Let's go. Okay, go. The reason why is one of the, the authors, this is re recorded in all four Gospels, and and one of the, the Gospels accounts for how the people were so amazed and so impressed with what Jesus just did that they wanted to make him king. They, want, they wanted to make him king right there on the spot. They were going to, like, forcefully make him king. Why? Because if Jesus was capable of multiplying resources and ending world hunger, it's like, dude, this guy's got to be king. This is the one. They wanted to force this guy to be king. So Jesus is like, okay, guys, we got to go. We're out. We got to go. Get in the boat. Go. So then he goes up there. Okay, everything's done here, people. Go home. And then that's where he actually goes to get some time by himself. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. I want to apologize for the screen uh, aspect ratio. I don't know what's going on there. This is the first time that's happened. So uh, you're just going to have to trust me for the letters that didn't make it onto the screen there. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So Jesus, after all this work, the discouragement about the death of his cousin, okay, continuing to serve, now he sends off his disciples, sends off the crowds, and I'm sure this is very late at night, he goes up onto a mountainside to pray on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, while he was up there, he was spending time with God, which is a great, like, side note to this is even Jesus had to spend some good time with God and even Jesus gets discouraged. Even Jesus gets tired. And Jesus spent time with God on the side of the mountain. And as he was up there, he could actually see the disciples. However he did that, however he could see, maybe it was a full moon that night. Or, or you know, the, the disciples had a small lantern on their boat. I don't know. But it, it, one of the Gospels accounts for him being able to see the apostles out three, four miles into the middle of the lake, just struggling to get across the lake. And so this is a picture of the Sea of Galilee here uh, on the left, and there's a picture uh, maybe from the side of the lake or, or just above the lake. And so I don't know how many of you here uh, have gone to the beach and watched a beautiful sunset. Have you seen uh, Catalina Island? 
Anybody here seen Catalina on a sunset? All right, there's a good number of people. When I did this lesson earlier for, for some of our, our other people, uh, you know, that served down in our children's wing, there's only like two people that knew what I was talking about. I was like, really? The rest of you need to go to the beach sometime. I was like, I was raised at the beach. So the idea of watching the sunset behind Catalina, you can clearly see Catalina as if it's right there. You're like, it's, it's just right there. But Catalina is like 26 miles at the shortest point from Newport, Okay. Now, uh, this, this lake is only about eight miles across. So Jesus could see three or four miles into the middle of the lake, and he could see the disciples struggling to get across. It says, later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Okay, buffeted. Let's focus on that word buffeted for a second. What do you guys buff? Your car. I buff my car. Okay, that's like, I didn't buff it. We don't, like, don't use that word buffeted, right? But I was actually raised uh, surfing and being at the beach a lot. And uh, when we surf, th- this concept of buffeted totally makes sense to me. Because what happens is during big waves, and when there's a set, a set of waves that come, and you get trapped inside, that means that you got a wave in, like you rode a wave, and then you came off of it, and you're on the inside, and the waves are coming and coming, and you're pa- popping up, and you're paddling, but there's no way for you to break through the surf because the strength of the surf is too strong for you to get through. So you're just paddling. You're like on a treadmill for paddling, okay? And you're just there, and you're doing it for five minutes, and then sometimes you just rest. You're like, okay, sit up on my board. I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm paddling out through this set. And you're just like floating in towards shore, towards hazardous rocks and stuff. So the disciples, they're in a rowboat. There's 12 of them, okay? And they're in this big wooden boat, okay? And I'm going to imagine that there was four oars because there's 12 of them. Maybe there was only two, okay? But let's imagine there's four oars, 12 disciples, enormous wooden boat. They're out there on like an endurance rowing contest that they are stuck in the middle of the sea because these gale force winds had come up that was just pushing them back. And it was like they're in a rowing contest where they can't get through. They can't, they're on a treadmill for rowing, like an erg machine at the gym. You guys do the 24-hour rowing machine. Okay, you got anybody here do, anybody like the erg machine? CrossFit? Anybody do CrossFit? Okay, you're there. You're mm, trying this thing. All right, you guys doing that? Okay, so they're just stuck rowing upstream for hours. Look how long that they were doing this for. It's really amazing. It says here, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. Shortly before dawn, guys, I mean, I know you guys all have heard this story like a million times. Like, even if this is your first time to church, like, everybody knows this story. This is not normal. This is not, I mean, they're like three miles out after like six hours of rowing. This is a straight endurance test, okay? I do endurance racing. I get it, okay? Like, for them to be rowing for hours, I mean, it's a good thing they ate dinner before they left, because they needed the fuel for this contest that they're about to get into. They were out there rowing and rowing and rowing, hours of rowing, 12 men, big boat. I mean, I can just imagine doubting Thomas. And he's just like, dude, it's been an hour. We're not getting anywhere. Let's just turn around. You know, the surf's up. The surf, I can't even, we can't break through this. The wind is against us. Guys, let's just turn around and go the other way. And Peter's like, dude, Thomas, keep rowing. Okay, so (laughs) Thomas, just be quiet. Okay, and whatever it was, they were just trying to obey Jesus. They were trying, they went out and Jesus was like, I want you to go over there. They're like, 
However, Jesus immediately sent them out. He was so intense about it that these guys are for hours on end struggling and rowing in the middle of this lake with huge white caps and surf that's breaking inside the boat. And they're fi- I can imagine just they're fighting with each other and they're getting at each other and they're just getting depleted of energy and uh, it would just be really intense. So I don't know what they were doing, but I know that I would have been like Thomas. I would have been like, hey, let's go. Let's get out of here. Let's turn around. So it says, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. So Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Okay, so remember, the disciples are out there. There's wind blowing. It's like, I mean, gale force winds, waves crashing onto the sides of the boat. He's like, row, row, row. Okay, they're just doing this over and over again. It's like, what in the world? Dude, and then you're sitting there rowing. Imagine, I'm just going to imagine Thomas again rowing. He's sitting there, what? what? Dude, what's that over there? Dude, there's something out there right now. Oh my, dude, check it out. And then everyone gets on board and they're looking. They're like, ah, terror. They're stricken with terror. Okay, they're like freaked out. Why? Because you're in the middle of this exhausting, you know, rowing competition and there's wind and waves. And then what do they see out there? What is it? They were completely terrified of whatever it was that they were seeing that was coming towards them on the water. I want you guys to imagine the intensity of this scene. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. They were completely struck with fear. They were terrified. They were delusional. They weren't sure what they were even looking at. I mean, imagine that scene. So for those of us who have read this like a hundred times, we could think this is like normal. And we're like, yeah, yeah. And then he, then he walked out. And then, yeah, they were scared. No, this was like a crazy, crazy moment. And they cried out in fear, just trying to obey Jesus. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I love this part of the passage. And this is where Jesus comes to them and he's like, take courage. I mean, he's still not in the boat. He's still a ways from the boat. They said it's a ghost. They don't even know what it is. But he's like, take courage. Take heart. This is a word, a phrase that Jesus used in impossible situations. When Jesus healed a daughter who was already dead. It's take heart, take courage. I am with you. Don't be afraid. When the apostles were facing persecution, he's like, do not be afraid. Take heart, take courage. It's okay. I am with you. This idea that we can be okay because Jesus, he says, just don't be afraid. I am with you. Jesus tries to comfort them. Be of good cheer. Take courage. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the Jesus walking on the water in the middle of the lake. No, it says they they did not understand about the loaves. It says here that they were completely amazed, for they had not understood, not about Jesus walking on water, but about Jesus doing the miracle he just did back in the remote place where he fed 5,000 people. It says their hearts were hardened. It says they did not understand. Now, 
they had witnessed a lot of things. They had seen Jesus raise dead people, take away sicknesses, heal blind men. Now he fed 5,000 people, and they're out in the middle of this lake freaking out. And the author indicates to us that they were amazed and did not understand. Now this word understand I want to tell you about, it's this word right here, which is sunyami. Okay, I looked it up online. Sunyami. And there's not a great translation for this. When we translate it, we translate it understand. But what it means is that in their minds, they had not joined together. In their minds, they had not set the things together. They had not made a connection of what Jesus had done with the loaves and what Jesus is capable of doing. So what Jesus has already done and what Jesus is capable of doing. And oftentimes we too have issues with this. We have difficulty connecting what Jesus has done and us practicing steps of obedience. Now, Jesus, interesting, Jesus had done a lot of amazing things that they had seen. But you know what? All of you in here today, or many of us who are in here, believe some amazing things about Jesus. Many of us who are in here today believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died on a cross for the sins that we've committed, that Jesus, who lived thousands of years ago, died on a wooden cross, taking our sins that we don't see against a God who we can't see, Okay, and, and, we, and he took those on his body, then he died, he was in a tomb, and then he resurrected, and through this provides us with salvation. Many of us in here today already believe that. Many of us believe many amazing things about what Jesus did during his lifetime. What Jesus has already done, we have trouble connecting with what Jesus has already done and what Jesus is capable of doing. So, we tend to, like, have reasons why not. Reasons why we don't have to obey. And we have difficulty connecting those things. But there was one man that night who made a connection of who Jesus was, what he had done, and what he's capable of doing. There was one man who did that. He had seen people healed. He had seen people raised from the dead. He had seen 5,000 people fed. And he made a connection with what Jesus had done and what Jesus was capable of doing. It's Peter And this is what Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus gives the command, come, he said, come. Peter standing up in the boat like the other 12 in amazement, looking out, trying to make sense of what he sees. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out of this boat and come out to you. And Jesus said, come. Now, I'm just going to imagine what the other disciples were like, the other, the other apostles in the boat, what they could have been like during this time when Peter stood up and said this, okay? Peter stands up, and he looks out into the dark, choppy, just messed up ocean with white caps coming across it, and, and the wind is there, and there's this thing out there, and he's like, tell me to come to you. And the other disciples are like, what are you doing? Grab Peter. Stop him. This is how fishermen die. They go out and fall overboard at night. You know, one of the things that happened to me when I was younger, how many of you guys like sailing or have been sailing in your life? Anybody spent sailing even on small boats? Any boats? Okay, sailing. Great. My dad loved sailing. Uh, We sailed on this 57-foot boat 
when I was younger. It was called Yacht Poco Mas, okay? And uh, Yacht Poco Mas was going to sail from San Francisco to Ensenada. And so we, uh, we went up there, and I was probably 12 years old. Uh, and I went, and, and me and uh, three other crew, crew members, including my father, uh, we were going to sail the boat, from, and, and the next stopping point was going to be Monterey Bay. And so you're, you're from San Francisco to Monterey Bay, and uh, the water's cold up there. There's enormous sharks called great white sharks, okay, that scare me to death. Okay, I have a phobia of them, okay. And the water is frigid freezing up there, okay. And when you're sailing, you don't sail like, like you know, a thousand feet offshore. You sail like way offshore, okay. And you're sailing down the coast of California, and there's enormous like 15-foot swells during this trip that we were making. And this 57-foot boat that normally just hums and glides quietly through the water was now coming off the tops of surf and going like this. And so we have our life jackets on. It's nighttime. The life jackets have strobe lights on them, okay? Because if you fall overboard, uh, you know, you have to have a strobe light on you so that everybody can see you because you're lost so quickly in the surf. That was one of the scariest moments I ever had. We made it, no problems to Monterey Bay. It wasn't a problem. But I know that was one of the few times I felt just nauseous, seasick, afraid. I went down below. I would go down below. I'd want to vomit. I'd come back up. You know, and I'm not one that would do that to, to want to vomit from being on a boat. And I, would want to, I wanted to vomit at that time. And so that was a time where I was intensely afraid and scared. Imagine being out in the middle of this lake. The surf is coming. It's crashing in the boat. They're exhausted from the work they've done. They're exhausted from the hours of rowing that they've done. Now, Peter stands up, which if I was one of the other disciples, I would think he was just delusional that he was standing up and saying this. He stands up and he's like, I'm, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus said, come. Now, Peter had no experience previously walking on water. He didn't know how to get out of this boat. He didn't know what he was going to do when he got out. But Jesus knew exactly what, Je I'm sorry, Peter knew exactly what Jesus had called him to do. He heard the voice of Jesus, he recognized the voice of Jesus, and he knew exactly what Jesus had called him to do. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. So Peter's like, and he, you know, and he just like bombs out of the boat, right? He just gets out of there. He just, you know, imagine him getting up on the side. And, and what was he imagining was going to happen when he hit the water? Was he imagining he was going to land on it like concrete? Was he thinking he was going to pop right through and just start swimming towards Jesus in the middle of this dark, white-capped ocean that was certain death to enter into? What was Peter imagining as he jumped in? Whatever it was, I can imagine him landing and being unexpectedly landing on his feet and being like, oh, I can push off the ground, but it's water, and I'm, I'm now walking on water. He got down out of the boat, walked on the water. Peter, the first man in history, I mean, Jesus, besides Jesus, is out there already, but the first man to actually go out and walk on water. See, Peter, he didn't know how to walk on water, but he had clarity of what Jesus was asking him to do. He had clarity of what Jesus called him into and what Jesus was calling him to do. 
how oftentimes follows obedience. We obey, and after we obey, we start to learn about the how. This is how you do it, okay? Sometimes we think we have to have everything figured out in order to fully obey and fully follow. Sometimes it requires us just choosing to begin to obey, and then we will figure out all the hows in the process. I studied the Bible for the first time on February 21st, 1999. I studied the Bible with, a, with some guys. The guy who was teaching me the Bible, he was a previously a methamphetamine addict. He, he couldn't pass junior college algebra, but he could teach me what it meant to follow Jesus. And I remember sitting there studying the Bible with him and getting in the car with him that night and spending the night at his house, and I was ready to follow Jesus. I didn't understand everything I needed to know, but you know what? It started right there. This guy said, you need to stop doing that, and you need to start doing this. And he, he gave me a clear call that came from Jesus. Jesus was calling me to follow him, and I didn't understand everything that I need to, needed to know or that I would end up learning. But I think that we're all still in that process of learning the how. So the how comes oftentimes after the obedience. How many people in here have kids and have successfully taught them to walk? Anybody in here? Okay. That's great. So I actually have three kids, and my three kids all know how to walk now, okay? They were not early walkers. I'm not an expert at teaching anyone how to walk, okay? And in fact, my wife was much more the expert and, and there. Uh, but what we would do is we would sit a few feet apart, and I would hold, uh, let's say, Micah, okay, and try to get him to go to my wife. And she would just be, like, literally for him, like two, three steps away at most, Right? And we would, we would be there, and I'd be like, look at mommy, go to mommy, look at mommy, and mommy would be there. My wife would be like, say, come here, come here, come here, okay, right? You guys know this? Parents know this, okay? Maybe you have a little brother or sister, you've seen this happen before. We're like, come here, come here. And what, the, what, is, what does Micah do? He takes like a turn and a look. He's like, here we go. I'm going for it. And then he's like, takes a half step and catches his toe and he uh, one step. And then he falls into mommy's arms, right? And he's happy he made it there. And we are just like, yeah, he did it. He took a step. It's amazing. I mean, he, it wasn't that great, but, you know, he took a step. And what did he do? He fell forward into mommy's arms. And what were we calling him to? We were calling him to look at mommy. What, did we want him to look at the ground? Did we want him to look at the obstacles he could potentially hit? No. We were in a scenario, in a circumstance that he might have been totally afraid and stricken with fear that he could not let go of the comfort of holding on to daddy. But we were sending him out and we were showing him mommy. And mommy was like, come to me. Come on, you could do it. And he took a little step and he fell. But he landed in mommy's arms. She was right there to get him. You know, mommy was there to get him. And we wanted him to hear mommy's call and follow her voice. Peter knew exactly what Jesus was calling him to do. Choosing to take comfort in Jesus involves choosing to lose comfort in everything else. And so this is the one thing, if I've lost you guys in here today, or if you started tweeting, texting, or checking emails during this time, I want to let you guys know, bring it in for a second, if I've lost you in my storytelling. Here's the only thing that you need to know today. This is the bottom line. This is where we're going with this. Choosing to take comfort in Jesus. If you truly want to take comfort in Jesus alone, only in Jesus, if you want to take comfort in Jesus, it's going to involve you losing comfort in everything else. 
There can't be any second close, second place to Jesus. Jesus is number one. And for us to find full comfort in Jesus, we're going to have to lose comfort and choose to sacrifice comfort in everything else. You know, I spent about 10 months in Georgia learning about how to lead campus and college ministry. And while I was there, it was one of the most awkward moments of my life because I was out there trying to learn to be a campus minister and build a college ministry and, and the potential future of going into the ministry. But while I was there in Atlanta, Georgia, people would say, oh, well, what are you into? I'm like, I'm into surfing. They're like, oh, cool, right on. You know what I mean? And they would like kind of make fun of it. And then they'd be like, what else do you do? I'm like, I play water polo. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, it's this Olympic sport. Don't worry about it, you know. It's like lacrosse, I guess, or whatever you want to think of, okay. Um, but, and then, and then, you know, swimming, water polo, snow skiing. It was like I had nothing while I was out there that I could take comfort in. There was nothing. Every, everything that identified me, everything that I would have gone to here in California, it was an incredible time where my wife and I, in the middle of our engagement, stepped out into the unknown. We went out to this college ministry that had just, it was just an explosion of problems that had existed prior to us getting there. And that we were jumping into a gnarly situation, a difficult situation, that we had no idea what was next. And it was just a really hard time. We were out there for 10 months, and I learned so much in the process. I value that experience so highly, but I had nothing that I could have taken comfort in for myself personally. So choosing to take comfort in Jesus involves choosing to lose comfort in everything else. So this part right here is you know how this story ends. Many of us already get it from my illustration I told about teaching a child to walk. This is where this goes. And oftentimes, this could be the reason that we don't want to get out of the boat. This is the reason that we want to take comfort in things instead of taking comfort in Jesus. Talking about Peter, it says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So Peter, the first man in history ever, connects the dots, starts taking some steps on the water, but then he begins to sink in the water because he was afraid. What was he looking at? Was he looking at Jesus? Was he listening to Jesus' voice? No, he took his eyes off Jesus. He took his, he stopped listening to what Jesus was saying, and instead he started looking at the obstacles. He started looking at the problems. But when he saw the wind in the way, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You know, Jesus reached out and he grabbed him. It's like my wife catching Micah as I'm trying to push him out to like start learning to walk. My wife was right there to pick him up and catch him so he doesn't get hurt. Jesus was right there to grab him and immediately pulls him up. You know, Peter failed, guys. Peter didn't make it. He didn't make it all the way to Jesus. He didn't get all the way out there. He was walking on water. But he failed, and he fell. You know, Peter failed, but you know what? There were 11 bigger failures sitting in the boat. You know, Jesus doesn't hang out in boats. Okay, in the Bible, Jesus goes here and there in the boats. The ministry Jesus was doing was not inside the boat. It was outside the boat. And Jesus was going to be found outside the boat. Jesus wasn't going to be found inside the boat. There was 11 bigger failures that didn't have the courage to get out of the boat. But Peter connected the dots. He knew what Jesus was capable of doing, and he got out 
of the boat. He had the courage to do that. So he failed, but you know what? At least he failed courageously trying to get out of the boat. He, got, he became afraid, he saw the obstacles, and he took his eyes off of Jesus. So, you know what has to be done. What's the one thing, what's the one thing that you could think of that would just take the air out of your lungs? What's the one thing that if you were to jump out of that boat, that you would jump out of the boat and it would just be a free fall out of the boat afterwards? What's the one thing that you could think of that Jesus is calling you to? That Jesus is saying, come. And if you were to step out, he's the only one who could reach out and save you. You know, for some of us here today, I have a list. I have a list of things that, that might apply to you. And I know that, that lists are sometimes hard to go through. But I think that this is going to help bring it home for a lot of us. For some of us, it might be that we need to leave our jobs. We need to leave a job because there's just too much temptation. There's temptation to be a workaholic, or there's tem financial temptation, or there's temptation towards adultery. And you know that you need to quit this job because it's not healthy. It's pulling away, you away from your family, or it's pulling you away from the church. For some of us here today, we know that there's a, someone we need to break up with. You're in a, a relationship. It's not healthy. You know that it, it's not based with the principles of Jesus in mind, okay? And you know that it's not with God in the center of it, and you need to break up. You need to leave that relationship. You need to cut it off. You need to cut off that relationship. For some of us in here today, it might be about really stepping out and giving more, learning to give, giving sacrificially, giving generously. Now, we just finished this amazing special contribution, which our church collected an amazing amount of money, and I feel like there are the most generous people. Some of these people in these audience, in this audience is just so incredibly generous. If you knew how much they give and how, how well they give, that it would just floor you. So some of us in here, I'm not talking about giving to the church. I'm saying that maybe there's an institution that you need to give to. Maybe there's a family member that you need to bail out, that you need to help them. Maybe it is to the church. But I'm saying that some of us in here, it might be a choice to give generously. For some of us in here today, it might be that we need to choose to go out on a mission trip. We need to choose to go to Central America, Africa, Cambodia. I don't know. Some of us in here need to make the decision to go down to Mexico and be on a mission, missionary trip to help the church, to serve the poor. But some of us need to take a step to do that. And you think of all the obstacles that might exist, that I'm not vaccinated. There's all those diseases and viruses. And, you know, I'm, I'm just scared of, of the danger and insecurity. It's going to cost me a lot of money. Some of us just need to take a step of faith and step out and, and let Jesus catch you in that process. Some of us need to make a decision to move, you know, and it's not, maybe it's a move further away from the church. Maybe it's, it's just you live in a neighborhood that's not good for you financially, that you're, you're in over your head. Or maybe it's someplace that you feel like, you know, you're in a place where you're not making impact or you're called to go to maybe a, 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 an inner city or, or called to go somewhere where it's going to really help you do the mission. But some of us need to move because our lifestyle is not, it's not practical, and we feel the call, we hear the call that we need to move. Some of us here maybe need to start up a company. Someone here, maybe you're in a situation where you need to leave, leave your job and just take that full step and start up a company, because you know what? The resources that you're going to be capable of generating to give generously are going to be greater. The time that you're going to have to be able to be generous and, and change your schedule and do mission for Jesus is going to be greater that some of us just need to take that step to better the world with the thing that we're trying to start this company, to do something to better the world, that Jesus is calling you just to take that step of faith and do it. 
for some of us in here today, and when I think about college students, some of us, the call is to step out on faith and go into the ministry. To make a decision that you're going to pursue the idea of going into the ministry. That that's going to be a decision that you don't know if it's going to work out long term. And there's a lot of obstacles involved. But you're willing to take the step of faith to get on that on-ramp. To go ahead and follow Jesus into the ministry. For some of us in here today, it might be a decision that you need to share your faith. And that's just the scariest thing for you to consider. Going up to someone and asking them to come to church. Inviting them to your home for a Bible discussion asking them to come play volleyball with you, telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ, the amazing love that our God has for us. For some of us in here, it's a decision that it's been a long time that you've been in the boat and you've been comfortable and you're afraid to get out, but it's time for you to get out and take that free fall and start sharing your faith. For some of us, it might be that you're in here as a guest today or you've come for a long time. You've been here for four weeks or four years but it's time for you to ask to study the Bible with someone personally, that you open up with your life and get help in order to really become a follower of Jesus and understand what it means to become a member of this church. Ask to study the Bible. For some of us in here today, it might be a chance that you have to lead a Bible study, to actually lead a Bible study, not just sit in one, not just invite someone to church, but you know there's an opportunity even for you in here today, that there's a friend sitting next to you, and all you gotta do is say, hey, can I lead you in a Bible study? Can I show you what the Bible says? So, Peter was able to walk on water through the power of God. Peter experienced something that no one after him would ever experience, that none of the other 11 experienced. There's experiences that God wants you to have. There's an experience that, that God wants you to experience his power, but you can only experience it when you get out of the boat. There's no way to experience it while hanging on to your life raft, hanging on to your life preserver, and sitting inside the boat. You got to take off the life preserver, and you got to take that leap, that airdrop of faith. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray for you guys, and you guys will be dismissed. I want to thank you guys for being here today. God, thank you so much for this time to be here and to, to really see this idea that we need to learn to understand what you're capable of doing in our lives and let go of the things that we're holding on to to find comfort in and security, God, that we can let go of them and find security in Jesus alone. I really pray that your word has resonated deeply in the hearts of everybody who's here today and that we can leave here and be ready to take that leap of faith, that we will leave here enthusiastic and excited to follow Peter's example, knowing that your power is at work and Jesus is there to catch us as we stumble. Thank you for this time. Please bless these people who are hearing this today. In Jesus' name, amen.